Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. So this morning, we're in Psalm 13. So make your way, find your way kind of around the middle of the Bible. You'll see Psalms, and then you go either right or left. Look for Psalm 13. Psalm 13 this morning. We're in a series called Songs of the Saints. The middle of your Bible, the book of Psalms, was really the hymn book for the nation of Israel. This is the, the songs that, all the Psalms that you read, uh, Psalm 1 to 150, each and every one of them actually had music that accompanied those, those words. And they are, are songs of lament, they're songs of praise, they're songs of this morning, this God, where are you? And, uh, and, and really just declaring not only the experience mostly written by King David, but all of it driving people back to this understanding that, man, I'm looking to God by faith. I'm going to trust in God no matter what. And so we're going to be looking at different psalms throughout this series, uh, throughout the summer, I should say. So Psalm 13, if you're there with me, is six verses, and uh, let's read together this morning. This is a psalm of King David. And here's what he says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt or he has dealt bountifully with me. So this is a psalm of King David. And uh, we really get to go on a journey with King David that we all know too well. Kind of like, hey God, where are you? Show of hands. Have you ever had that kind of moment in your life? You just feel like, God, where are you at in this situation? And that's really David's kind of scenario right now. It's a cry, it's a lament of an afflicted person who's on kind of the verge of despair. You cannot hear it and the emotional response that he has as he's crying out to God. So David's the author. Here's kind of the backstory of what's going on in his life. So, so David had been anointed as the next king, but it was a decade later that he actually saw that fulfilled, that he actually became the king of Israel. Saul, who was the first king of Israel, was the king. Saul was in complete rebellion to God at this time, and Saul was actually using his army to actually hunt down Israel's greatest warrior, King David. And so David is literally running for his life with a band of, of, of broken people who also, you know, uh, knew that David was going to be the next king. But again, they had this entire army that was after him. And, and, and you know, he can hang on for a while like you and I can in life situations, right? Like, okay, I, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to continue to press on. And then just time and more time and more time, it gets you to that spot where you're just like, Lord, how long? How long am I going to have to wait for you to move? First Samuel, the book of First Samuel, tracks the story. And again, David trusted God. In fact, he trusted God so much that he had two opportunities to kill Saul. Both times, godly people told him, dude, here's your moment. Take that knife and just dig it right now in that guy's skull. That's a little graphic. Sorry about that. And each time David said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. He's like, God is going to take care of Saul. I'm not going to be the one to intervene. 
It's a great position to be in. And yet, it just continued to go on. And so David's at this moment where he cries out to God, God, how long? Because it just t- takes its toll on us, doesn't it, right? Right? Questions arise in our hearts like David had questions. Like, are, do you hide your face from me? Have you abandoned me? The disciples with Jesus when they were on the boat, Jesus was asleep at the front of the boat and a big storm had whipped up. And the disciples in the Gospel of Mark went to Jesus and woke him up and said, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? That's an interesting prayer to pray. It's like, we need your help, but it feels like you're indifferent, like you actually don't care. That's really where David is at. He's got these questions arise. In those kinds of moments, what we need is a new perspective. We need a verse 5 and 6 perspective, the lens of faith, where we look at life and life circumstances, but that's not where David's at. David goes from discouragement and despair, in the end, trust, encouragement, and even singing out with joy. That's what faith is. That's what it means to actually trust God, even when circumstances say that's actually not a good decision to trust God. That faith, what we see in this passage, it it weights him down. It's like the anchor in his life when thoughts, negative thoughts, just begin to sort of blow in and out of his life and kind of just threaten to blow him away. David says that's that faith, and we learn that faith, that trust, is that I know that God is good. In fact, you might be dealing with something right now, the circumstances in your life are kind of like where David's at. Like, Lord, how long is this going to go on? You're almost in a spot like David where it's like, why is this happening? And how long is it going to go on? And what, is there any great purpose in this? It's like you face a scenario in life where you say, I don't know what to do because I don't even know what's going on. And in that moment, it's when you've got to fall back on what you do know. I, I, don't, I don't know what's happening, but I do know that God is good. I do know that God is involved behind the scenes, even though I can't see it or I don't feel it. I'm just going to trust in God. And see, that's where David got to. It's where we need to get to. So we see this journey from despair and discouragement to joyfully proclaiming God's love and goodness for him. So if you walk through this journey with us, it really just goes verse 1 and 2, verse 3 and 4, and verse 5 and 6. And first, what I want you to note with me is that David just affirms reality. David looks around in despair at his life. He has a major problem. David's discouraged. By looking around at his circumstances, it feels like God is absent. He uses even language that would, just, that would even seem like, man, God, like, hook this guy up. It seems pretty desperate situation for him. He feels like God is absent. God is indifferent. And no less than four times he asks the question, how long? I think that every believer at one point in their life asks that question. God, where are you at? God, how long is this going to go on, Right? You feel neglected by God. I'd imagine even in this room right now that there are some of you that are in that kind of a how long moment for your life. You say, God, how long is this going to happen? Lord, when are you going to intervene? God, it feels as if you're indifferent and that you actually don't care. We get weary due to the length of time under that trial. It might be easy to kind of hang in there if you could see the end, right? But you see no end in sight. David's like, Lord, I don't know how long I can hang on. It it isn't, by the way, faith to ignore reality. You know what I mean? You ever meet somebody and they're just like, you know, they got like crap happening in their life. You know what I mean? I forgot our young people are with us this morning. They have some messed up things in their life. (laughs) 
And it's like, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed, brother. I'm like, dude, stop lying. Like, it's not good. Trusting God, but acknowledging reality. It's not, it's not a lack of faith to acknowledge, like, bad stuff is happening. You know what I mean? What's the, uh, the, the movie um, Search for the Holy Grail or Monty Python, right? And he gets his leg chopped off. He's like, come back here. I'll bite you. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's just a flesh wound. It's like, no, you lost all your limbs, bud. Life's bad. He vents his sorrows, his troubles before the throne of God. I love that. And yet, to him, God seems indifferent. When David says, have you forgotten about me? Have you hidden your face? It's really David saying that I feel abandoned by you. I don't feel like you're involved in this moment in my life. And this is a critical moment for you to be involved. He's alone in his thoughts. He says his heart is filled with sorrow and for David it looks like the enemy has the upper hand and the enemy is winning David looks around he tells God what he feels and I love I love this I love this song because it gives you and I permission to actually express to God realities you know what I mean you ever feel like that within the church community that you and I are supposed to live out verse five and six without ever experiencing verse one through four where you, you know, like, you got to feel the pain of life in order for you to feel rescue from that scenario and that situation. David says he takes counsel in his own soul. By the way, that's part of the reason why David stays in a, a, a state of despair. The more I think about my problems, the more you muse over your problems and the situations that you have, right, and you don't take it to the Lord, you just talk and you vent and you complain, it just kind of gets you stuck in that spot. And David doesn't stay in that spot where he's stuck. I find that when I take it to the Lord, in a, like David had a desperate prayer in verse 3 through 4, is that you feel release. And you meet people who actually have, you know, like that, that, that moment. You know what I mean? God, I just, I need you to come through. And then they feel peace and you're like, but God hasn't come through. You know what I mean? I think that's what Paul describes when he says, there's a peace that passes understanding in our lives. It goes around understanding because God's presence is there. So David prays, right? But again, we can share God. This is what's going on in my heart. We have this encouraging, you know, kind of moment from David in verse 1 and 2. We could pour out our hurting hearts to the lover of our souls. We don't have to pretend. What we find is we have a Savior that loves us and that welcomes us into his arms as we actually share, Lord, this is what I feel like is going on. David tells us in Psalm 62, verse 8, O my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our what? Our refuge. God is our refuge. God is a refuge for you and I to go to. It's interesting. We know based on, you know, what God's word says, James chapter 1, right? Let the testing of your faith, right, produce perseverance. And, you know, we know that God uses trials in our life to help us to mature, also to kind of purify our lives. But what, what, what James tells us is a trial from God, James also uses the very same word, and it's a temptation from Satan. And what God uses to help you grow and mature, right? How long this time under pressure in your life? The enemy will come in and he'll use it as a temptation. 
to actually wreck your faith and actually begin to chip away at your trust in the Lord. And David feels like it's working. Those negative feelings can take over. And when you're in that moment where your life is being directed by how you feel about life, that's a very bad place to be as a Christian who's called to actually walk by faith and not by sight. Again, we experience the pain. We have to be cautious. You've got to look around at your reality, right? You've got to experience it. If you don't walk through the pain of a situation, by the way, you can't really fully understand and express forgiveness for somebody else who's wounded you. If you've walked through the pain of a divorce or loss or illness, you've got to grieve that experience, right? That's being a human being. But as a believer, what David, I think his life scenario is telling us is don't stay parked there. You don't park your life there. You say, Lord, this is my reality. I look around in despair because it looks bad. But you don't park there. And we see David actually begins to move on and gives us this path out of despair. When we look at verse 3 and 4, it says that, that, that David says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. So David moves from looking around in despair and now he begins to look up to God in prayer. He begins to look up to God with this petition, if you would. This petition of, God, I'm going to trust in you. God, I'm going to look to you. And really, that's an act of faith when you and I are in that kind of moment, isn't it? Where you say, you know what? I actually, I feel like God's abandoned me, but I'm actually going to take a step of faith. And that's what prayer is, especially in those kinds of moments, man, when you feel like you're just in that desperate spot, you feel faint-hearted, and you're in, that, you're in that situation where you say, what else can I do? And by the way, that's a great place for your life to be where your only option is God. You can't fix it. No one else in your life can fix it. And only God can fix it. And it's almost as if, like, finally, you sort of get to the end of your rope, and you'll find, like David does, over and over and over again, you'll find the beginning of God's rope. And that's what David does. He prays. He brings his petition to God. And it's an act of faith. And by the way, for David to have a sense of being abandoned by God, it means that he knows that God has been there in his life, right? You can't feel abandoned if you don't know that someone was there. And so David takes a step of faith and says, Lord, can you consider what's going on in my life, right? Consider me, Lord. I want to draw your attention to the situation. And by the way, it's not as if God's like, whoa, man, I didn't. So sorry about that. I had a bunch of stuff happen in the Middle East and kind of busy. Okay, tell me again what's going on in your life. You ever feel like that with God? God already knows. He already knows everything about your life. Jesus tells us that he knows uh, the amount of, the, hair, the number of hairs on your head has a number. And he's subtracting, guys. As you, as you sort of move on, <laughs> subtracting. And then maybe he's adding some, like in different parts of your body. But right here is where it's all going away. God already knows. And God gives, gives us permission to come to his throne. Hebrews tells us, right? So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, that we will receive his mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it the most. So God gives us permission to come. And, and I love what David says. He says, I'm asking you to intervene. And he essentially says, when he says, enlighten my eyes, he's saying, God, I need you to revive me. 
I need you to give me a revived heart. That, that, that sequence of words, right? enlighten my eyes. Jonathan, King Saul's son, who was the best friend of King David, they were, they were just knit together, best friends. And, and Saul had made some stupid rash vow saying, like, if anybody has anything to eat today, you know, uh, before Saul is avenged of his enemies, you know, they will be cursed by God. Well, Jonathan didn't hear his dumb dad say that. Everybody's like going, dude, when are we going to take a break and get some food? And everyone's scared because Saul made this, you know, vow. And so uh, Jonathan, he walks by and he sees that, you know, or in the trees, there's this honeycomb. You know what I mean? So he's not vegan. So he goes and dips his back of his spear. You can't eat honey if you're vegan, just to let you know. And, uh, and, and he dips it. He tastes the honey. And his eyes were revived. And he looked at actually one of the soldiers and says, look how my eyes have been enlightened. Like he's fresh. He actually has revived eyes. Paul uses a similar phrase when he says in, in Ephesians chapter 1, when he prays for the church, he says that our prays that the eyes of our, our, the, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that you and I might know the hope of God's calling, the glorious inheritance that we are to Jesus, his saints. So it's like there's those moments in our life when we're walking through verse 1 and 2, and we're even in verse 3 and 4, crying out to God, seeing no relief, looks like the enemy is going to be rejoicing over you because you're defeated. It's in those moments where we have like a clouded vision. You know what I mean? Where we, we've sort of stopped seeing life through the lenses of faith we allow feelings to begin to dictate how we operate, navigate throughout life. And David says, God, I need you to, I got a clouded vision. I need you to enlighten my eyes so that I might see clearly what you are doing. God, I feel like I'm going to die soon if you don't rescue, if you don't come through. And my, fo my foes will rejoice. Let me encourage you. Bring your requests to God. Don't muse in your own heart over and over and over against the negative thoughts that are coming your way. Truthful things. It's not like David made this up and said, dude, what are you talking about? Saul's not trying to kill you. It's like, look outside the cave. Oh, there's an army trying to kill you. He says, God, I need you to intervene. And you know what happens through prayer? God actually changes circumstances. What you need God to do in your life, you might not ever be able to do throughout your entire lifetime, but God can change through prayer in one second with that desperate prayer. But it's not just circumstances that God changes. In fact, he doesn't change them for David. God also changes our hearts and gives us a new perspective. And that's kind of what happened in King David's life. He gets a changed heart. He gets a heart that's lifted up. And he's encouraged to see now with eyes of faith. You know, sometimes, friends, the best thing that you need is just a good time with God. Think about your, your kind of your prayer life. It's probably like mine. You've got, you've got things you're concerned about, right? You're praying for people that you love. You're praying for your kids. You're praying that they make good choices. You're praying that they don't make dumb choices. And that's probably what consumes all of your parents' prayers, right? Lord, help my kids not to be such dumb people and, like, make good choices, right? 
have you ever had that moment where it's just like, and if you're a parent, you need these kinds of moments. Where it's just desperate. Click off social media. The house is quiet. Everybody's asleep. And you can't sleep. And in that moment, you can say, Lord, before this melatonin kicks in, right, <laughs> I'm going to lay before you in my living room floor because I'm desperate. You might need to take a walk this week out, you know, uh, early morning, 3 a.m., before it gets too hot. You just take a walk with God. God, I'm not turning back to my car until I feel a breakthrough. Do you know what I mean? Have you had that kind of, if, if, if you've never experienced that, take a, take a step and say, God, I'm desperate for this situation. Either you got to give me peace or you got to come through for me. But man, I'm not relenting until you actually come and I feel breakthrough and release. And that's what David does. I wonder sometimes if the prayers that you and I pray, if we really are desperate enough. You know what I mean? I don't mean like we're just like, Lord, I'll get louder if you want me to get louder. I don't, like God isn't concerned with how loud you get. You don't have to, uh, you know, say Father God, you know what I mean, a hundred times in your prayer. You should, have a, you should have a Father God swear jar also. You know what I mean? And fill that thing up. You, you have friends? Anyways. When you pray with people like, Father God, Lord Jesus, you know, Father Weegis. I'm like, who's Father Weegis? I, I wasn't Catholic. I don't know who, know who that is. But, you know what I mean? You say, God, I'm desperate. You know what I mean? But God's not looking for the number of words. Ruth's looking at the heart's position. And David's in a spot where it is desperate. You want God to come through. Man, do some self-eval. Am I really, do I really need God to come through? Or is this just sort of like a, oh, it'd be cool if he did, but not such a big deal if he doesn't. That's what really prayer is. He says, Lord, you're my only option, and that's a great place to be. And then we find in verse 5 and 6. So David looks around. He's got, he's got despair in his heart. Man, this is a mess. David looks up to God with this petition and prayer and says, God, I need you to intervene. I need you to come through. The enemy's going to win. And then we see David look back. I love what he says. Look what happens through that desperate prayer moment for David. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This isn't David saying, I prayed and Saul died. Saul's still alive. Saul, Saul still wants him dead. After this moment, David even utters the words saying, I know that I am but a step away from death. That's not a faith position, friends, right? When the guy who had some anointing oil dumped on his head saying, you're going to be the next king of Israel when he was a teenager. Nothing changes except for the author. David's heart changes. So much of prayer is this. You get a new perspective. It's like God just lifts our eyes to see reality through the lens of faith. And that's what happens to King David. After taking it to God in prayer, what does David do? He reaffirms his confidence in the Lord. He has a fresh view. He has enlightened eyes, if you would. And they're not clouded by despair, but now they're actually filled with faith. And David makes a declaration that you and I need to, 
to declare. And by the way, this is why we sing on Sunday mornings. We don't sing so that we can sort of get the crowd warmed up for a message. You know what I mean? Our singing and proclaiming God's truth, it isn't also to you know, let you get your kids checked in or let you, you know, make that mile journey from your car. We sing and proclaim truth that's according to God's word. God, we believe these things, and we declare these things. And you'll notice we sing songs that you might not feel is a reality in your life, but you make a faith declaration, amen? You make a faith declaration that, God, it doesn't look like this, but this is what I know and believe, and this is what I'm going to stand my life upon. It's like David takes a stake, and it becomes this thing that he pounds in the ground and says, no matter what, God, I trust in your steadfast love, this unceasing love that flows to me. No matter what, God, I'm actually going to believe that you are good because you have dealt bountifully with me in the past. And a Christian needs those stake kind of moments where you pound into the ground so far that hell gets the point. Like, I'm not wavering. I was thinking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego this, this week about, you know, there they were getting cast in the fiery furnace. And, and, and you know, Nebuchadnezzar, this big powerful king, the ruler of, of the world power of that day. He says, guys, I'm going to give you another chance. The, the idea was that he built this big, giant, 90-foot gold statue, and everyone had to bow and worship it. These guys were Hebrews, and they, even though they were in Babylon, you know, sort of on a 70-year national timeout from God, the nation of Israel was, and there these guys were Christian, or, you know, believing Hebrews, and they're like, we don't bow to statues and idols, man. We worship the one true God, Yahweh. And so Nebuchadnezzar is like, listen, you get one more chance. When you guys hear you know what I mean? Four chords. It was probably like, you know, uh, Hell's Bells, I bet you, is where that song was written, right? And when you hear that bong, you know what I mean? It's, you got to bow down. And, uh, and they're like, here's the situation. Like, we're not going to bow down, and God will come through for us and deliver us. But even if he doesn't, up your nose with a rubber hose, Nebby. I mean, that's kind of what he did. And he's like, boom, fired up, got it hotter. Guys that had to throw him in, they die. These guys just jump in, and then you know the rest of the story. Or maybe you don't. Go watch a VeggieTales video. Great sort of a cliff notes of that whole story. It's just like, God, this is, oh, I feel this way in verse 1 through 4. This is what I believe. He's able to see beyond his current situation. He sees that God is good. He sees that God is at work. He sees that God has always been with David. The prophet Isaiah, they, Israel had a moment like this. Isaiah 49, in verse 13, Isaiah says, Sing for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on them in their suffering. Speaking of their time in Babylonian captivity. But notice what verse 14 says. Yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. And here's God's response. Never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, God says, I would not forget you. See, I have written your name on the palm of my hands. Always in my mind is a picture of Jerusalem's walls in ruins. 
What a great mental picture for those guys to get at that time. You know, you and I have the same promise. You've been purchased by God. And, and though your name isn't written in the, in the palm of his hands, you and I could look at the hands of Jesus and see two nail scars when he's hanging on a cross. That becomes always this, this big moment in your life. You go, I feel unloved. I feel forgotten by God. And you look back to the corridor of time and you see a bloody cross with a perfect Savior saying to the whole world, I love you. Isaiah says, guys, God has not abandoned you. Yeah, your circumstances stink. Yeah, Israel's, you know, Jerusalem's walls are broken down. Yeah, you've got a mess in your family or the situation in your life right now that you think this is the thing that troubles me. This is the thing that makes me feel like God has hidden his face and God is not there for me. But you believe something different because that's what God declares about your life and my life. God did not forget nor hide his face from David, but that's what he felt. It's true according to how he felt, but it wasn't true according to the facts. And you and I cannot allow feelings to dictate life for us. How does that work for you? Is it, is it always a good scenario when you allow your feelings to sort of dictate your life? Sometimes you just have to say, you know what? Even though this is how I feel, i got to have something more, more solid to build my life upon. Sometimes you feel, you know, God's presence. You feel God's, you know what I mean, that sense of his nearness, that special touch from God. You have a great moment of prayer, time in his word, time in worship together on Sunday mornings. You just have that sense like, man, I'm so glad I showed up today. I'm so glad I'm here. I sense God's goodness with me right now. And then there's other times it feels like you're just sort of walking in the desert and you're all alone. Nothing changed. The only thing that changed is that you're, your emotions, my emotions, they can sort of have like an ebb and flow through life, right? Depends on what's going on in your life. You got a baby waking up at three, you might not feel the love of God. <laughs> you're like, Satan, I know you're here. <laughs> God's there. He's there through all those moments. David feels like God is indifferent. He feels forgotten and abandoned. He feels alone in his own soul. And he feels that the enemy is going to prevail. But he believes God's love for him is unceasing. He believes that God is being good to him. And that God is at work behind the scenes. And he has every reason to sing and to praise God for God's salvation and God being bountifully good to him in the past. We look back at God's faithfulness. We see how God has been faithful to the men and women in Scripture. We can look back throughout our time and see believers, how God has come through for them. And it gives you and I this hope to say, but God, this is what I'm going to believe. God's past faithfulness should demand our present trust. Again, the trump, the trump card is the cross. Ultimately, when we sin, we feel like we've blown it beyond repair, we look at the cross. When troubles are all around us, we, he went to the cross for me to pay for my sin. How much more something more insignificant, the troubles that I face right now? If he already took care of the one thing that kept me out of heaven, the one thing that kept humanity from ever having relationship with God, he's already taken care of that. How much more will he take care of the smaller things, right, in your life and in my life? The hope of the resurrection, the hope of what Christ has done for us on the cross, that death cannot defeat 
us any longer, that through the cross we have the hope of eternal life, this ought to be the cause of every believer to proclaim God's goodness and to praise Him and to worship Him. That ought to be a reason enough for you to show up on a Sunday morning and have a moment on a Monday afternoon where you say, God, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to look up to the sky and I'm just going to declare, God, you are good. And I praise you and I worship you. In verse 5, the Holy Spirit seems to grant David eyes to see from a new angle and it's an angle of faith. Say to every situation right now in your life, every scenario, Lord, this is how I feel. But this is what I believe. You declare like David did, but I trust in your unfailing love. But I trust. He's still in the realm of feelings, isn't he? My heart rejoices, right? He's expressing joy for God and all that he believed that God has done in the past and would continue to do for him. But now his faith is kind of directing his feelings instead of the other way around. That's where you and I need to be as believers. Walking by faith, trusting God. You see, that's the key. How different your life could be, how different my life could be if this became a regular occurrence in our life. God, this is what I'm looking at, but God, this is what I believe about you. I wonder how that would actually change the way and the, the, the dynamics of your conversations, mine too, not only with myself, but with people that we care about and love. If we simply said, this is what I see and this is what I feel about this, but I... That stake in the ground, this is what I know to be true. And God, I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. Guess what? Saul isn't dead yet. That illness hasn't come and gone, right, in your life. The realities that led to this lament and cry of a psalm have not changed, but David has changed by choosing to trust God. I read this this week. David's strong and certain beliefs about God's love and goodness and involvement in his life were the weights that kept him anchored while powerful and negative feelings try to blow him off course. You need that weight, and so do I. Hebrews tells us this about faith. Faith is a confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things that we cannot see. Through faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. And verse 6 of this faith chapter, it says this, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. God rewards those who seek him, who say, God, I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. Even though you don't see it, even though you don't feel it, it's something that you actually believe. David regained that assurance in God's presence. That's where you stay. Lord, this is what's going on. I'm going to continue to talk to you. I'm going to continue to trust in you. God, I'm going to continue to cry out to you. And even, he says, he sees God's goodness as David thought about it. Man, it was a good reason to rejoice and sing. I will sing. I will worship because of who you are, because you are good. Even though circumstances aren't different, you still can sing. You still can proclaim God's goodness. It's amazing, isn't it, right? Now we can see that there is good. It's all cloudy in David's life, but boom, there's a big old rainbow. And David says, God, you're there. You're actually going to be there and continue to be there for me. God has been good to us. Look back at his faithfulness in your life. Let that be something that propels you to continue to believe and trust in God. Look to God's word. In fact, this week, I want to give you some encouragement. 
Take that situation, that scenario, that, that thing that you can't control that does give you this sense of, God, are you there? God, are you with me? Lord, how long? Look at that current trouble and make it a regular habit of yours to cry out to God for it. I mean, take it to God. Trust in God. Leave it with the Lord on a daily basis. My problem is, I say, now that we're done talking, I want to take it back. Say, Lord, I'm going to leave it here with you. I'm going to continue to cry out to you. And then remind yourself of all the ways that God has been good to you. Have you ever taken a piece of paper out and just wrote down how God has blessed you in the past? We become like those people that um, had, uh, uh, you know, the 10 lepers that, that came to Jesus and said, hey, we don't like this skin condition. Can you heal us? And all 10 were healed. But only one came back and bowed down and said, thank you. And Jesus says, we're not all 10 of you healed, but only one has returned. I wonder if that's your batting average too, right? 10% of the time you and I go back to the Lord. Lord, you're good. Thank you. This week, take that scenario to God until you feel release, peace about it, okay? Also, get a piece of paper out and write down, God, this is where you've been. This is how you've blessed me. God, this is how you've been there in the past for me. And I will acknowledge that you've been there for me. And remind yourself of God's goodness and his love for you that's unceasing. And again, the cross, it tells the whole story. You bring your burdens to the Lord. And even this morning, you know, every single week we've got people, friends of mine that are on these back, kind of around these round tables with these little fireflies in the, in the little buckets over there. That's so you can see where they are. There's people every single week. How about this week you take a step of faith and say, man, here's an overwhelming circumstance. David wrote a song about his. I'm going to actually go over and receive prayer for mine. And you say, I've got a scenario, a situation that I need God to come through for me. And let the Lord do that for you today. Sing out this morning as we close in time of worship. And praise him for his goodness because he is good. And if you, again, if you need prayer, man, please make your way over. During the last songs of worship, but also after the service, my friends, stick around. And maybe this morning you're here today and you're like, man, I, I got a whole mess going on. But I don't even know where to begin with God. I don't have a relationship with God. I, I don't even know how to even begin talking to God about my life and situation. The first thing that needs to happen for you, my friend, is that you need to actually be in a right relationship with God. You need to actually have your sins forgiven. You need to begin a journey with Him by faith. You need to actually surrender your heart to Him. You know, being a Christian isn't about trying to keep a bunch of, you know, rules and a list of things that you've got, you know what I mean? Like, okay, I finally got these things down. Now I'm actually can have a relationship with God. That's religion. Religion is human beings attempt to reach the holy God. The gospel is the opposite. Is that human beings have no ability to reach the holy God because we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Every one of us has broken God's commands. Every one of us deserves God's wrath and judgment and eternal damnation and hell. But Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago so that you and I could actually have a relationship with him. How does that happen? Well, Jesus on the cross, he absorbed all the wrath that our sin deserved, your sin and my sin and all the sins that have ever been committed or ever will be committed in this planet. God the Father poured out all the wrath that sin deserved on his own dear son. And Paul tells us this exchange happened. He says, 
For God made him who never sinned, speaking of Jesus, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, or another way of saying it, so that you and I might have the ability to be made right with God. Well, how does that happen? Well, you come to a place in your life where you admit you're a sinner, and you repent of your sin. It means that you've been going one direction, living life your way, and now you're going to do a 180, and you're going to choose to, to come to Jesus and ask him to come be, not only recognize you sinned and, and, and repent of that sin, but but receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This isn't about believing a certain, you know, uh, creed. This is about having the God of the universe come, coming and taking a residence in your life, living in your own heart, and helping you walk through this journey of life. And one day, when you take your last breath on this planet, having the hope that you'll have eternal life with God, not because you were religious, not because you actually tried harder, but because you have a simple faith in a perfect Savior. And maybe that's you this morning. You say, hey, Gordon, I want you to pray for me. I'm ready to surrender my heart. Would you bow with me now? Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you for your love. And Lord, thank you for your word that we read this morning, God, this, this lament, this cry of David. And Lord, we thank you so much for giving us the ability to see his journey. And may that be our journey, God. We feel a certain way about life or a scenario, God, but we believe something so different. We believe you're good. We believe, God, you're going to be, you bring the salvation that we need. And Lord, our hearts are anchored and weighed down with your truth as negative thoughts and feelings threaten to blow us away. Would you bless my friends, God, who are dealing with a lot? God, help them to see you in it. God, help them to see through the fog of doubt and despair and to see with eyes of faith today. I also pray for my friends who are here, God, there might be one person who needs your love, who needs to surrender to you today. And today they're ready. You're speaking to their hearts even right now. Lord, show them how desperate they are for you, God. And Lord, how much you love them that you would willingly take their sin upon your own self when you hung on the cross for me, for them, for the entire world. Your friends, with eyes closed and heads bowed, if, if, if you're here this morning, you're saying, hey, Gordon, would you pray for me? I'm ready to surrender my heart. I want Jesus to be my Savior. I want my sins forgiven. I want to begin a relationship with God by faith today. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when I take my last breath on this planet, They'll spend eternity with God in heaven. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand up. Put it up super high. Hold it up in place if that's you. You're ready to make that commitment this morning. Nobody looking around right now, but you sense God is knocking on the door of your heart. You lift your hand up. Let's pray together this morning. Anybody here today? Anybody here this morning? You're ready to surrender your heart to the Lord. You lift your hand. Let's pray together this morning. And he loves each and every one of you so much. Each and every one of us. But if today you need to surrender, man, you take that step. Well, Lord, this morning we say thank you for your truth. I want to pray that it would be the anchor, the truth about who you are, your goodness to us in the past, Lord, the, the hope and promise that we have. You will continue to be faithful and good to us in the future. Lord, may we all leave this morning, God, with a sense that we are weighted down by your truth, God, and even though negative thoughts are going to blow this way and that way in our life this week, even feelings about the scenarios that we deal with, Father, we're going to trust you. We're going to declare like David, 
but I trust in the unfailing love of God. Let that be our prayer, God. Let that be our, our, our little anthem this week, God, but I trust in your unfailing love. I thank you for that promise, and I thank you that we can hold on to it today. Blessings from everyone listening.